This week on the Geek Rex Podcast, it is a grab bag of information as Shane and I discuss news surrounding Batman vs. Superman, the new Doctor and Doctor Who, as well as Flash showing up on Arrow, and a ton of other things, as well as the best and worst of this week's comics. You can find that all here on episode 17 of the Geek Rex Podcast. Two movies this past week. Well, you saw two more than I did then. Yeah, and they were two movies that had probably been out for a couple weeks, but there wasn't anything on the major releases that I was actually interested in, so we decided we would go to the art house cinema a couple times and see some things that looked slightly intriguing. So you want to see the Smurfs? No, <laughs> no, I never saw the first Smurfs. I'd be lost. I didn't either. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have any interest in that or in Two Guns. <laughs> you know, I just, just felt like even with Movie Pass, where I can go and see a movie and pay, you know, I, I, I paid my monthly fee, you know, so I can just go and mm-hmm. see a movie anytime. My time is still worth more money to me than that. <laughs> So I decided I was. I don't blame you. I, I decided I was going to go see some of the more art house fare this go round, and I reviewed one of them for the site. I didn't review the other because it was ending anyway, and I wasn't sure if anyone who actually read the site would be able to actually see the movie. So I thought, what's the real value of writing up a review? Well, I know the one you did review is one I had never heard of, and one that I know is not playing anywhere near here. Yeah, yeah. It. Uh, we can talk about that first. Um, we uh we saw the latest Pedro Almodovar film. I'm so excited, and I don't know if you've ever seen any of his movies before, Shane. I no, I don't know who he is. Good, 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 good uh, foreign director. Uh, he's made films like um, Volver and The Skin I Live In. A lot of movies with Penelope Cruz and okay. uh, sometimes Antonio Banderas. And this movie is sort of a farcical comedy, and the idea behind it is that uh, an airplane, before it takes off, something goes wrong with the landing gear. Somebody didn't do their job on the tarmac. And so the plane takes off, and the pilots realize that something's gone wrong. And so they instruct the uh, uh, flight attendants in coach to drug everybody, so they're all passed out. So everyone in coach, (laughs) in, in the economy side, is just completely passed out. And the only people that are still awake are the folks in business class, and there are about five or six people in business class, and those are like the main players of the story, along with the flight attendants and the pilot. And hijinks ensue. I mean, it's sort of like this interconnected, <laughs> like everybody's got like this story that they introduce, and it's it's a pretty enjoyable tale, very sexualized, very mm. sexual. Uh, Hannah and I were at this theater in Sandy Springs where your brother lives. Mm-hmm. And at first, we were the only people in the theater, basically. There was one other lady who looked like a bit of an art movie fan. But then a few other like married couples came. And mm-hmm. around Sandy Springs, Dunwoody, it's a little bit you know of an older crowd, maybe even slightly right. conservative, maybe. I don't know. 
And when all of the uh, the gay sex stuff started, I started oh. to get uncomfortable, you know, for the people <laughs> near us because I thought, oh, God. You felt like so you were my, watching it with your parents? Yeah, well, not with my parents so much, but with – because my parents are pretty cool about, you know, anything that's uh, more sexual in nature. I mean they don't care. But <laughs> – that these people, I thought someone's going to walk out and be mad. I could see this coming. It's going to be an awkward situation. But, <laughs> but nobody got up and left, and it was it was cool. That's and I good. thought, I thought, hey, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe we're these are this is a more enlightened crowd than I thought. And it, it was an enjoyable. This is, movie. A, this is a foreign film, right? It is totally subtitled. Okay. Uh, in, in well, Spanish. see, uh, people in people in Alabama would have left not because uh, not because of anything with sex, but because they didn't want to read the subtitles. Yeah, fair enough. I it's really <laughs> it's really brightly colored, and okay. Hannah and I we actually worked together on the review this time because she's a big Almodovar fan, and I was feeling a bit run down. So I thought, oh, come 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 collaborate with me, darling. <laughs> <laughs> and she and she basically wrote the review, and I just sat there and typed her thoughts. I noticed but, it was a little bit shorter than your reviews usually are. Yeah. Yeah, she's much more brief and to the point, and that makes her a much better writer than me. But we, when we were sitting down and thinking about some of the points around the film, she mentioned that it looked like, based around its bright coloring and some of the outfits that the flight attendants and the uh, passengers were wearing, you could you could really draw the line between that film and a 1960s screwball comedy. And I found that very similar. And and she said, had they were not, had you not seen the passengers use cell phones or have cell phones on their person, you would think, oh gosh, this could have been, uh, this could have taken place 50 years ago. And so I, I thought, I thought that was something that to be kind of appreciated about the film. Um, it, you know, not all the jokes land. It's not the funniest movie I've seen, but mm-hmm. I did have a couple moments where I laughed out loud. And for this year with comedy. <laughs> to laugh at all is it for me is is something to write home about. So you know we gave that a solid B, and I, I'm I'm sure it, uh, I'm sure it's enjoyable, but there's no way for me that it would beat Airplane. No, heck no, they're not even in the same <laughs> ballpark, man. Airplane is still the king of airplane comedies, and it probably always will be. But you know this is a nice, fun uh, kind of uh, I don't know. It sort of reminded me of something like. A mixture of Noises Off, which was an old 90s, like, mm-hmm. stagey kind of... It was like a play brought to film. Right. Mixed yeah. with, mm-hmm. mixed with I don't know, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert or something. Hmm. And I, I doubt it will get the following that that has, but... No, not even might. close. Not even close. But um, I liked it. And, you know, if you ever get an opportunity to see it on video at some point, I, I, I do recommend a view. I, I think I'm old as a guy worth paying attention to, even if I don't like all of his movies. Um, the other movie we saw, which I was really more hopeful for, was an independent film called Computer Chess. And, and yeah, this was the one you mentioned on Twitter that I had no idea what you were talking about. Nobody did. <laughs> That's the best part. Uh, we went and saw it with Mike. So it was me, Hannah, and Mike, and we went to Midtown Art Cinema to see it. And Computer Chess is a film that is completely in black and white, filmed on 1980s period, like Super 8 style, style hmm. cameras. And the central story behind it is it's a convention that's meeting, you know, in some mediocre-sized town, medium-sized town. 
and they uh, they're putting together this convention to compete computer chess programs against one another that each of these groups have designed, and okay. they, they're trying to determine who has the best computer chess program. And the can't film, imagine why this didn't get more press. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It, it, it's a neat idea. And I was about to say at least at least technically it seems like it should have gotten a bit more press because I mean. Uh, we've established well before that I'm I don't live in an area that gets a lot of indie movies. Although I was surprised to see Fruitvale Station is playing 30 minutes away from me, but um, I, I haven't seen nobody, no movie critics, I, critics I follow have talked about this movie. So it kind of just flew very much so under the radar. Yeah, and uh, you know you get on Rotten Tomatoes, it has maybe maybe 20 or 30 reviews at most. I mean, it's a really boutique kind of movie, and I was surprised that Midtown got it. And, you know, when you go to the movie theater and they have, like, the little marquees above your movie, like, doorway, um, you know what I'm talking about, where they put, like, the logos Mm -hmm. and stuff, and whatever the studios provide them with. Uh, The Mylars is what we'd call them. Yeah, thank you. I figured the guy that worked at a movie theater would know the names (laughs) of them. Well, some of them have Mylars and some of them are digital, and it'll just digitally show what the name of the movie is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, But there, for this one... There wasn't one, and instead there was like this yellow piece of construction paper in the oh uh, that just re- they wrote computer chess on it. Uh, so the the studio spent zero money uh, marketing this movie. Then I, I don't think there was much of a studio really. I mean, it was it was definitely an indie distributed film, and I don't I have no idea who the distributor was. So I mean, did it live up to this interesting concept and interesting technique? In places, in places, uh, there was a, a really cool sort of. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen any of the movies of Christopher Guest, but uh, he did this movie called Best in, Best in Show and uh, the, A Mighty Wind, and uh, Computer Chess kind of took on some of those humor okay. humor elements, and I think. Actually, Christopher Guest has a show on HBO now called Family Tree that you might have heard of that I think is airs like after True Blood now or something like that. Uh, newsroom comes on after True Blood. Oh, I don't know. I don't know the order of these things. Maybe it's after <laughs> New- it could be after Newsroom. Who knows? Um, but so this this movie had a really nice undercurrent of humor, and it was it was one of these movies where it's like, oh, look at the funny clothes they're wearing, and look at how like do- dopey some of these guys are. I mean, it's like there there's like it's like this awkward sense of humor around um, some of their sexism and some of their like mm. their attitude, you know, some of the, the you know how the nerds kind of treated you know you know, treat the, the subject matter in which they're working on, how serious they treat creating a computer chess program. And I can't imagine there's much difference between how they treated it then and how nerds treat things nowadays. Probably not, but <laughs> the way it was framed was pretty interesting. Um, I wish the film had maintained some of that momentum mm-hmm. and just gone straight comedy. I think it would have made for a more interesting film because unfortunately... Okay, that's what I was about to ask. Is it a comedy or is it just like a drama with comedy elements. No, it was it's a comedy, I guess, but then it starts <laughs> to ask like these really big questions around artificial huh. intelligence and they have these big long drawn out conversations uh, around you know what's the worth of artificial intelligence and is artificial intelligence the the future that we all have to face will we one day be taken over by our artificial intelligence overlords and there's there, there, there's a couple of interesting points that are occasionally brought up, but then 
it just sort of devolves after a while. And hmm. there are moments that it goes into really, really art house territory where there's a complaint around one of the programs that one of the guys is working on and they're sitting there trying to play a chess chess game and it starts going in a loop and it starts like doing the same move back and forth and that's all it's doing. And then one of the characters later, he literally goes into a loop himself and he's like constantly doing the same thing over and over again. And Mike and I were sitting there and we, and, we, and Hannah and we were all saying, what was the point of that? We don't even understand what the thematic resonance was and why that existed there. So it did a lot of things like that that sort of kind of kind of kind of threw off the film for us. And when we left, mm-hmm. it was just sort of like frustration rather than feeling like we saw a satisfying cinematic experience. So Computer Chess, I didn't review it, but if I did, I uh, mean D plus, C minus kind of mm. thing. Yeah, it was. Unfortunately, it was a really promising idea that just completely fell off the map for us. But luckily, hey, next you know next week uh, or this week coming, you know, we're seeing Elysium on Wednesday. <laughs> it is looking, yeah, it is looking a lot more exciting this week because this is a very off week in terms of comics and in movies too. I, know, I mean, unless cool. like unless you were just really wanting to see two guns. I mean, I know a lot of people love Denzel and a lot of people love Mark Wahlberg and. Although I've seen kind of mixed reactions to it. And then there's the Smurfs, which I can't imagine too many people that listen to this show were just gunning to go see that. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, it, was a, it was a very, very off week. You can tell we're getting close to the end of summer. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Mark Wahlberg and I like Denzel. I just don't like Denzel in stupid action movies. And yeah. Mark Wahlberg in, in bad action movies is the worst. I can't think of anything worse than him <laughs> uh, in that kind of film. And having had to sit through one of those types of movies this year. Uh, it's it's just not what I'm looking for in my cinematic yeah. experiences. But we see Elysium on Wednesday, so I'm excited about that. Hopefully that will live up to some kind of expectations. My expectations are <laughs> medium um, to high. I've, I've, seen, I've seen one movie critic that I follow review it, and I was uh, shocked at how disappointed he was in it. Wow, okay. Well. Um, it's to the point where he said he hasn't posted his Elysium review yet because he doesn't want to end his summer movie reviews on a bad note. Okay, wow. What, what, which critic is that? I gotta know. Uh, Pietro Filipponi. Oh, yeah, 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 gotcha. Um, yeah, that's, and that doesn't surprise me. I've seen quite a few people that have said... You know, it has it's it's problematic, but I still liked it. You know, that's that's sort of the everyone has a caveat to this movie. So. Okay, I'm looking forward to seeing. Interesting. I, I, I'm gonna hold back before I read any. I haven't read, actually read any reviews other than things on Twitter. I haven't either. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting till after Wednesday. I'm gonna <laughs> write my own review and then I'll see how it compares to everybody else's. So, um, well, you know what though? Even though it was a slow movie weekend and it was a slow <laughs> television guess weekend, where it wasn't and slow. guess where it wasn't slow? It was in the news. <laughs> Take it away, Shane. Um, let's start off with you, because uh, this is something, honestly, that you care more about than I do, or at least at the moment care more about than I do. So uh, yesterday there was the announcement of who was playing the new Doctor on Doctor Who, so do you want to expand upon that a bit, maybe how you feel about the announcement? Because I've seen your reaction on Twitter, but I, I guess I'm looking for something a little more detailed. Sure, sure. I'm very excited about it, and yesterday was a day that I had a little bit of dread in my stomach, because I had heard rumors about who it could have been, and for the past, you know, two weeks, 
three weeks, you know, there'd been speculation just floating around the internet as to who was going right. to be the twelfth Doctor. And right, lot, and I know most people have been gunning for a female. Well, they were gunning for a female, or they were gunning for uh, uh, someone of a different ethnicity. And, okay. I, and I certainly could support that wholeheartedly on either end. Uh, I think people were really pushing for Idris Elba is what they really wanted. Uh, people are going to push for him for every role, I think. I, I, I've, I've heard him pushed for James Bond. I've heard him pushed for everything. Well, it's, it speaks well to his talent, but the... There, there were rumors floating around uh, about they were going to choose another young guy, and you know Matt Smith, who is currently mm-hmm. in the role, is about thirty now, and he start when he started, he was twenty six. So mm-hmm. I mean that that's pretty darn young for a role yeah. that, gosh, the youngest guy before that and was in his twenties, but. I mean, before then, I mean, we're talking like guys that were cast that were in their 40s and their late 30s. Right. I mean, nobody had ever been like baby-faced young like Matt Smith was prior to like other than Peter Davison. So anyway, uh, the rumors had been floating around that they were going to choose this Welsh actor whose name I'm not going to even attempt to uh, <laughs> pronounce. It's uh, it's a good-looking guy. He's about 26 years of age. And all I could think to myself was, "Oh no, not again!" You know, it's like, I, lo- I love I love Matt Smith. But I was about to say, I thought you liked him. I do. I think he's a tremendous actor. I really do. But I was really hoping for somebody different, like a different type. And when they announced that the twelfth Doctor would be Peter Capaldi, who is a very accomplished thespian, a very good actor, uh, you know, and he's the oldest actor that they've ever cast in the role uh, outside of the very first. Doctor from the 1960s, mm-hmm. William Hartnell. Uh, that was really welcome to me. Uh, this idea—I would say that's his uh, his biggest distinction from somebody who's an outside viewer—is uh, he's he's older, but that's about the biggest distinction I can see. Because other than that, he's a very skinny, lanky white guy who's probably a little bit awkward. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he's just a great actor. I mean, I don't. I, if you ever get a chance to see um, in the thick of it or the, this movie called In the Loop. They're uh, they're they're both tied in together, but he plays this amazing character on that on both in both that movie and that series, and he's been in bit parts and larger guest starring roles in a lot of TV shows. He's kind of like a uh, like one of those television versions of hey, it's that guy. You know, you see him in oh, a lot okay. of stuff. He was in World War Z as um, I saw that. <laughs> you probably saw the uh, the jokes the yeah. jokes that were floating <laughs> around about him being the WHO doctor in World War Z. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I really welcome the news only because I was braced for the absolute worst right. and Dr. Who in the past, past couple of doctors, no one's been a bad actor. So, you know, mm-hmm. I put out a tweet that they said, Hey, you know, I, that they finally picked a, another great actor for Dr. Who. And the, the, the thing, the thing of it is Matt Smith is a very, very, very good actor. David Tennant is a very, very, very good actor, but they weren't particularly accomplished actors before uh, right. stepping into the role. Christopher Eccleston, who was the doctor before David Tennant was one mm-hmm. of these, um, one of these actors who had done a lot, done a right. lot before re- the show relaunched. So he was incredibly accomplished and wonderful. Um, so that, to have someone, Almost of Christopher Eccleston's standing coming into the show is really welcome for me as somebody that appreciates really solid acting that I know I know what I'm going to get and know that something's mm-hmm. going to be able to deliver with some real gravitas. I mean, it also helps that um, for those who watch the show, I think 
we may finally have an actor who has good chemistry with Alex Kingston's River Song character, who is the Doctor's uh, you know wife on the show. So. And she's much older than Matt Smith, and their chemistry was never very convincing for me. So it's nice to have someone who may be able to accomplish that if Alex King's... Now, they are going to have, when he at least when he first takes over the role, they're going to have the same writers. And I know that the current writers on Doctor Who have been kind of getting mixed reactions. So do you think that's something to be concerned about at this point? Or I know you're kind of... You've been kind of on the fence sometimes about uh, Moffat's run on the show. I, I actually haven't. Um, I mean, they're, they've all. I know you've given some. You, you were, you've been kind of going through like I've seen maybe one C review you gave it, and then a bunch of Bs and then As and stuff for Doctor Who. Yeah, and there's only. I mean, there's occasionally an episode where they'll have a bum writer come in and okay. knock out an episode that just isn't very good. Unfortunately, that's always the case in Doctor Who. You're going to have a couple of really good episodes. A couple of bad right. episodes, a couple of good episodes, because they have this team of writers where the, the talent level is a little mixed, and that's just the way the BBC works. I mean, they, they just can't hit home runs every time. I wish they could, but you know, it just doesn't seem to be the case. But I, uh, I like Moffat's run. I think Moffat's run is far better than the Russell T. Davies years uh, that, that preceded them. And I'm hopeful about uh, what's to come. I mean, they've got the 50th anniversary special, which will have Matt Smith, David Tennant, and John Hurt together um, on the uh, on the, on that series, and we'll get a chance to find out what John Hurt's which doctor he was. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, they had sort of this uh, big mystery surrounding him, and then. Uh, the episode after that will be the Christmas special, which will be the uh, the last episode of Matt Smith's tenure, which will be sad because I like Matt Smith a lot. And he's, I guess... If, if I know he uh, has accumulated a large following on the internet. Especially on the Tumblr. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but Matt Smith is... <laughs> I, I think that's the, uh, th- those are the... Those are the jokes I liked more than the H- uh, WHO doctor jokes about him getting cast was everybody's like, oh, now the Tumblr crowd won't have anybody to make... J- uh, GIFs of anymore or anything. Yeah. Well, they'll they'll still find ways to do it. Believe me, um, there just won't be any new ones to make. Uh, I guess they better. <laughs> I guess they better. Uh, you know, savor what they have left. I mean, Matt Smith's great, man. He's my doctor at this point. Uh, everybody has a doctor that's theirs as a fan mm-hmm. show. Matt Smith is sure. mine for sure. I, I I absolutely cherish his performances. But I'm really excited to see something new. And if I could compare Peter Capaldi to like any actor. I would probably compare him to uh, Anthony Stewart Head from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, he's very yeah. similar to him in stature. You know, it's like they they have they have a similar uh, gravitas to their performances. I miss Anthony Stewart Head getting work. You're making me miss him now. <laughs> I always wanted him to be the Doctor. I was he was in the background of the Iron Lady. That was the last thing I saw him in. Yeah, I think I saw him in Repo the Genetic Opera. Yeah, he was in I mean he was in that, but then his biggest role, like he was a background player or more cursory character in The Iron Lady. I think Buffy's really his biggest role. Yeah, he's he's he unfortunately has not uh not not, not made much of a film career since. I think he's which, on- uh, which that might have been a bad decision for the doctor because I think he would have attracted very much so a Tumblr crowd because oh, Buffy yeah. has a very big following as well. <laughs> oh sure, sure. Well he's He's also um, was he on that show Merlin that's on BBC I think. Sure. <laughs> I think he I think he he's he's on that show and I uh, I think he plays like Uter Pendragon or somebody like that. I don't watch the show. I just sort of I just sort of keep up with Anthony Stewart Head occasionally. But anyway, 
I'm excited. I think uh, Peter right. Capaldi's excellent. He's a longtime Doctor Who fan. Am I sad that they didn't diversify a little bit? Sure. But I think there are greater challenges on that end. I mean, unless realize. there's something in the mythos of that show that I don't know about, um, I can't imagine that's something that they'll avoid for too long. No, no. They're, they're, there's nothing stopping them. I just think there's some. there may be some cultural stuff that it needs to be worked out. The BBC is a publicly funded channel. Right. Uh, corporation, organization, whatever you want to call it, and I know that there has been some, um, you know, some level of pushback to the idea of casting anything that isn't a white guy. I, I believe me, I hate that idea, but I think that the BBC is playing it a little conservative, perhaps, and they don't want to rock the boat too much so with their core audience, which is the British audience <laughs> over there. That, and if there's a more conservative side of that audience, I guess I'm learning about it. So, um, th- so there you go. That's all I know about it. But yeah, I'm excited. Peter Capaldi, hooray! So they they made the best choice with what they what their options were, I suppose. But apparently, he was their only choice, from what I've read. They didn't think about anybody else. Apparently, he was their only choice. So I'm not sure where those rumors came from that you were hearing right before the announcement. Who the hell knows? <laughs> but anyway, um, I'm not much of a Doctor Who fan. Um, it's a show that I've been kind of curious about, but I'll be honest, some of the more Tumblr fan base about it has kept me away from that show. But anyway, um, let's talk about some DC news, because there's a lot of DC news this week. And I know people get upset that we talk about DC and not much Marvel, but I promise there is some Marvel stuff. Very little, but there is. Um, so, uh, I guess let's just start with, uh, let's talk about Batman and Superman a little bit. We've already talked about it a bit about our thoughts on it and kind of how we're feeling about this movie being made. And really, our thoughts don't matter because it's going to happen either way. Um, so, I guess the first intriguing thing was Zack Snyder met this week with Frank Miller about Batman and Superman. And it's worth noting before that that the quote that was read at Comic-Con when Batman and Superman was announced was from The Dark Knight Returns. And I think they just read that because it's a very uh, powerful quote. It uh, shows the one one of the few times that Batman has really dominated over Superman and then what he had to tell him when he did that. But it has obviously caused people to believe that the new Man of Steel sequel will be a adaptation of some sort of uh, Dark Knight Returns, or at least incorporate some elements, which I think is a little far-fetched because uh we already got that adaptation we got that in animated form and we've also got it in the dark knight returns there are plenty of elements from or not dark knight returns dark knight rises we've got uh, plenty of elements of returns in rises and so i'm wondering if batman in this movie is going to be something similar to that is what they're wanting to do but uh i'll tell you my thoughts first and then you can kind of say what you want to kyle but my thoughts are is if they go with the more frank miller-esque batman particularly from uh, Dark Knight Returns, I think that would probably be a mistake because this they want this to be a Superman movie. And Superman in that story was, if anything, the antagonist. He was being used by Ronald Reagan as a peacekeeper, and he's the one who gets sent in when Batman goes too far. And if anything, I think the movie needs to be the other way around, where m- maybe not Batman sent in by the government, but Batman comes in to maybe deal some justice in response to what happened in Man of Steel. But I, I kind of I feel like it would be a mistake to jo- go to Frank Miller with it because Frank Miller's Batman is probably the uh, most jerkwad Batman of any Batman that's ever been written. Sure, he's Clint Eastwood in a costume. I mean, that's yep. basically Dirty Harry. But yeah, particularly yeah, particularly Dark Knight Returns. Uh, Batman and Ro- uh, Robin, the Boy Wonder, is a little bit 
less Clint Eastwood. Yeah, that's that's psychotic. That's the difference. <laughs> yeah, that's just psychotic. That's the, that's the one we've talked about before, where they paint the room yellow to scare Green Lantern. Yeah, where Robin ends up like kicking him in the mouth and stuff. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I actually kind of like that book, but um, I'm, I do too. Part of me does, mostly because I treat it as a prequel to Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, yeah, it's it it, it sold so, it such. So, what do you think? What do you think the angle needs to be with Batman? Well, okay. I think he needs to be similar to Superman because well, we already have a take on what they did with Superman. Okay, so hold up. Um, one of the things that I think some people, and I'm not saying you, I'm just I've seen it on right. like IO9 and some other websites that I frequent in the uh, lulls of my workday. I will see them comment on, oh, they're going to do that adaptation of The Dark Knight Returns, and no. it's going to be you know old, old Batman. And, and no, I, here's the thing. People get the facts mixed up. When uh, Harry Lennox gets up there and reads that piece from The Dark Knight Returns, before he got up there and read it, uh, Zack Snyder had said, "This we're not, ad- we're not doing an adaptation of this. It's just informing our take on this. Right. That's all that is. And so you just take that quote into context. (laughs) Nobody did. Exactly. And all you have to do is is think, okay, so this might establish the relationship between Bruce and Clark. Okay? So the idea that Frank Miller is meeting with Zack Snyder, I realize, ends up sort of pushing people who believe it's an adaptation of Dark Knight Returns into that area. Okay, here's the thing. Zack Snyder and Frank Miller are friends. Uh, They've Mm -hmm. been friends since 300. And yep. people people kind of forget that, but he's he's here's the thing: if you had the opportunity to sit down, you're a filmmaker, and you were going to sit down with the guy that wrote Batman Year One, and yep. the guy that wrote the Dark. Yeah, Knight people. Returns. Yeah, people forget that. Yeah, I mean, Dark Knight Returns is probably his best Batman story, but people forget he also did his origin as well. I think that's his best Batman story. I mean, it's it's an unbelievable tale that's still timeless. I mean, I think Dark Knight yeah. Returns has not aged as well. Batman Year One is incredible. I mean, that's why people are mad that they're redoing the origin in Zero Year. So, right. I think taking that opportunity is something that Zack Snyder should should adapt. I mean, he need he. It's nice to sit down with a guy that knows Batman really well, along with his mm-hmm. own writer David Goyer. So, I, I don't I don't see a negative there. I realize right. Miller is off at the reservation these days, but <laughs> he still. That's the guy that you meet with when you want to talk about Batman. Yeah. I mean, there's how many go-to Batman guys are there? I mean, there's Grant Morrison, there's Denny O'Neill, there's Frank Miller, and maybe Scott like Scott Snyder in a bit. Maybe like Gre- Greg yeah. Rucka and Ed Brubaker. Maybe. I mean, that, yeah. That's I mean, who's Chuck Nixon? Yeah. I mean, you start to get really, really, really flimsy as you, as you go further yeah. and further into the Batman comic side of things. But Frank Miller is like the go-to guy. It's sort of like Alan Moore when you want to talk about the mm-hmm. swamp thing, you know? Yep. So, and many other comics. So, um... So, so you think this will be more of a Miller-esque Batman, or do you think they're just wanting to get his take yeah. on the character? To answer your question, I think they just want to get his take on the character. I, I don't think okay. that... I don't think that it's going to define what their this version of Batman is. Now, in terms of, you know, is it going to be an older Batman? Well, that, they, it's already been rumored that they're going to be looking for a, what sort of not middle aged Batman. Yeah, let's but, take a yeah. Let's yeah. use that as a segue into yeah. who they're who they're looking at. And, then, and this is mind. This is all rumor. Uh, it is highly likely none of these people will get cast as Batman um, because I mean this movie just got announced less than a month ago. And they said Zack Snyder hasn't really seriously begun looking at casting because the movie hasn't even been finished writing yet. Um, but I think it will be within the next few months that we find out. So let's look at who we have 
as our apparently rumored shortlist. And so this will give you an idea also of what their take is. And it's like you were tr- starting to say, it's kind of more of a middle-aged guy. Um, a lot of people who are in their 30s and a lot of people who are in their 40s. So you have um, Ryan Gosling. Is, 30s is middle-aged, by the way. Fucking shoot me now. <laughs> well, <laughs> late, late 30s, late 30s. You don't have to be worried yet. <laughs> okay, go um, ahead. I'm sorry. All right, so it's like 36 years old. So, I mean, still not middle-aged. I mean, middle-aged for what century, but anyway. Right. Um, so you have Josh Brolin and uh, Gosling, who are the two that have been making headlines because they're in Gangster Squad together, so it's easy to do a headline, and also they're the most known. Uh, you have uh, Joe Mangiello. I, I know I mess up his last name, but anyway, the guy from who plays Al Seed on True Blood doing a terrible job at it right now. Um, you have Richard Armitage, who is apparently in The Hobbit. He played Thor in Oak and Shield, but, I mean, you can't really judge that performance as how he would do playing Batman. Um, you have Matthew Goode, who's most known for, uh, he's worked with Zack Snyder before. He was in Watchmen as Ozymandias. And then you have Max Martini, who played the uh, Australian dad in Pacific Rim. Um, and that's who the rumored shortlist is. We've already had Army Hammer say he doesn't want to. But part of me thinks, and I know some other people have been kind of indicating this as well, he's just kind of being, like, coy about it. He's he's possibly in the run as well. Well, so yeah. It's Looking at that list, There, these men have some similarities, but they all seem like whichever one they go with would be a wildly different take from the other on Batman. Sure, sure. I, um, yeah. Out of that list, who do you like? Okay, so can I let me can I preface something by saying sure. one of the things I noticed uh, with the guys who have all played Batman, you, know, you ever notice that none of them actually look like the Batman you see in the comics? Like they never have they never have the dark features. That they never, chin. <laughs> yeah, they, oh the chin. They don't ever have the dark hair. They they don't they just never quite look like Bruce Wayne to me. Christian Bale's the they always closest. Look yeah, yeah I would agree. Even Christian Bale, it doesn't really look like Bruce Wayne. I mean, he's a no. wonderful actor, but he doesn't look like him. And yeah, like Bale. <laughs> but, but but compared to that, to like Superman, I mean, I think Henry Cavill and Christopher Reeve are mm-hmm. you know dead mm-hmm. rumors for what Superman should look like. I mean, just wonderful uh, like visual presentations. Not to say that I mean their acting is of course great too, but uh, just from the visual standpoint, they're they're they're, they're pitch perfect. So. I would love for them to pick a guy that actually looks like Bruce Wayne for once. And I'm telling you, based on that list, the only two that actually fit mm-hmm. would be Josh Brolin, who actually has dark hair and those dark features. He's got that chin. And he's got that chin, and that's probably why people think he's the front runner. Or if you were to do some serious hair dyeing on Ryan Gosling... Uh, and I think that still might look a little awkward. And those are the two that they're pinpointing as the front runners. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, believe me, my dream is John Hamm as Batman. Everybody knows it, yeah. and I think he absolutely. <laughs> there's no one that looks more like Bruce Wayne, especially an older, <laughs> like a you know, a, a prime of prime career Batman, Bruce Wayne, than John Hamm. But it, it'll be you know, it'll happen. be interesting to see if they go the Josh Brolin route because that's a, that's going to be a significantly older Batman than we have a Superman here because I know. We, we, we have established that Superman's 33, which, looking back on, that's just terrible Jesus Christ imagery going on in Superman. But um, So, if Josh Brolin gets cast, that's a Batman that le- at least has a decade on him and could possibly have a decade on him in terms of being Batman. Yeah. So, 
And I, um, I, I dig that. That's a cool idea. Like I was, I was presenting that to my friend uh, Eric over Facebook, and I said, "Listen, this idea that okay, so this is a young Superman, and right. Batman." You know, first they may have like an adversarial relationship, but he takes him under his wing, okay? And at the same time, he's he's like sort of getting him to become a better hero. Um, you have this Lex Luthor type villain who is an adversary for not only Superman but also Bruce mm-hmm. Wayne. You know, exactly. from, from the uh, entrepreneur standpoint. So this stuff just writes itself, honestly. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and so I would. That's why I, Josh Brolin would be a great choice. I, you know, he's he might be a little too old for some people's tastes, only because you know they, they want to have a franchise player, and right. somebody that could eventually. Ooh, Robert Downey Jr.'s around the same age, isn't he? I don't know. Is he? I, I thought he was a little. Uh... How old is Josh Brolin? Okay, Josh, Josh Brolin's, Brolin's forty-seven. 46. Okay, forty-six. Okay, forty-six. And so, how old is Robert Downey Jr.? He's. He's forty something, isn't he? Yeah, but Robert Downey Jr. wasn't wasn't forty six when he started Iron Man. I mean, true. That's that's the thing to keep in mind is that. Uh, well, and we also don't know if this is going to be a Batman that's no. going to get his own series of films or if he's just going to be in Justice League. Yeah, because Robert Downey's forty eight now, so he started, you know, what five years ago um, as, or excuse me, yeah, five was, five, was it five years ago? Yep. Yeah, five years ago as Iron Man, and so I mean, at forty three. Uh, to to Josh Brolin's forty whatever forty six. <laughs> I guess that's not that big of a difference because no. they're, they're just getting right to it anyway. So that's that's not bad, especially if a Justice League movie does end up happening. And, I mean, Josh Brolin's no stranger to comic book movies. He's uh, he's in the <laughs> terrible movie Jonah Hex. Uh, uh, but then I, I was more thinking that he's also in Sin City too. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> I like Josh Brolin. I love how you knew how you thought you knew exactly what movie I was about to bring up when you started laughing. Yeah. I, I I really did. Um, though I guess this is also a movie that wouldn't be released until the guy was like forty eight almost. So um, it's it's just things to keep in mind. I mean, it, they he's got they've got to have somebody that will last a few years within their series, mm-hmm. so they can at least put out a few movies I, before this thing all yeah. this bubble bursts. But I mean, Ryan Gosling. Yeah, I think out of that list. Yeah, I think out of that list, I think Josh Brolin would be my pick if I had to pick out of that list, but. I wouldn't rule out Matthew Goode just because his work with uh, Snyder in the past. Yeah, I mean, the only person I wouldn't want to see is Joe Manganiello. I mean, that that yeah. guy can't act. Oh, especially after this season of True Blood. He's terrible. I mean, I can't believe they thought he was going to be Superman. I mean, just just the <laughs> worst idea. You know, Matthew Goode... Um, they did like him, apparently. I like Matthew Goode a lot as an actor. I think he's very, very, yeah. very, very... Uh, Great. I didn't want to say good, um, <laughs> but oh. <laughs> you know he he also unfortunately brings a lot of memories of a not so hot performance as Ozymandias, and it might be kind of cool I if he could. Re- I, I enjoyed his performance, and that I, well, think he's a good job. I hope I hope he job. could redeem himself if he was to play Batman. But I, I don't. Know. I think he could do a good job playing Bruce Wayne. <laughs> Sure. Um, Batman, I don't know. I, yeah, that's what you got to think about. What are they going to look like in that cowl? You know, people talk about Jeffrey right. Dean Morgan, and I can't imagine slapping that mask over that dude's face. <laughs> and so, would, would they look silly? A lot silly? of ladies would be upset that that much of his face would be covered up. <laughs> well, I mean, would Ryan Gosling look silly wearing that thing? I mean, I can picture I can picture Josh Brolin wearing it and looking pretty awesome. I, do, I can too, and it's because of that chin. Yeah. He's got that Batman chin. I know, man. I mean, it's it could be the uh, it could be his franchise, but. Uh, we'll we'll see. Be, 
I'm now I'm getting excited about this, and I'm gonna be upset now if it doesn't happen because I think Josh Brolin would be great for Batman. I I, I would be into it. He's uh, he's tremendous. Um, but and I, I think he would be a big enough name that they if they could get him, and then they, you get a big name as Lex Luthor, you're good to go. I'm in terms you. of selling tickets. Denzel, Denzel. <laughs> <laughs> I I would love that. You have no well, idea. Well, two guns this weekend. He might be looking for a new project. Yeah, so. maybe so. I don't. Um, <laughs> anyway. But anyway, going on from DC things, uh, on the TV side of things, it was announced that Barry Allen would be uh, part of Arrow this season. And Arrow is not a show I've checked out, but I've heard good things. And I know you've seen two episodes and heard good things as well. I have. Um, but I've heard one thing about this series is that superpowers aren't really a thing they do on that show. So it's interesting that Barry Allen's showing up, who people uh, may or may not know as The Flash. And the, there is a potential that if he is popular enough on Arrow, he will get a spinoff. So part of me is wondering if this is DC trying to get in on the super speed game before Days of Future Past or Avengers 2 can come out. That I think that would be a very logical uh, line of thinking there, Shane. <laughs> I mean, I that was the first thing I, I said uh, to some friends of mine when... Uh, they announced there was going to be two different versions of Quicksilver showing up in Avengers and in X Men: Days of Future we Past. Quicksilver before the Flash. It's like, are you are you kidding me? That's that, that's just ridiculous. Uh, but anyhow, the idea that they would introduce the Flash on this television show, I know, has been a very controversial one to a number of friends of mine who were hoping right. that, that a movie would be coming instead. Um, right. I can I can understand that worry because the Flash is a very heavy special effects kind of uh, character. Yeah. And unlike Green Arrow. <laughs> right, right, exactly. I mean Green Arrow, there's been no superpowers that have shown up on that show supposedly. Yeah, and I, I don't think he's had any boxing glove arrows or anything like that either. Right. I mean, he's basically like their their television version of Batman. I mean, but just with That's what I've heard. I've heard it has some very Batman Begins vibes to it, which is a good thing. I mean, I love Batman Begins. So. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, but I so I, you know, when they said that they were going to put the Flash in the show, Barry Allen as a cameo and that's sort of a backdoor pilot, you know, into that and sort of regular character, whatever. Um, I got a little excited at this idea that maybe DC, Warner Brothers, DC Entertainment were they were going to go for this um, media synergy thing, where mm-hmm. they were just going to go ahead and say, you know what, let's let's put together, let's do a cro- successful crossover movie. And if the TV thing kind of works out, we don't we, we don't set it up so that they uh, contradict one another. And if Flash takes off enough, if Green Arrow takes off enough, to hell with it. It's all one universe. Let's just cross them over in Justice League and bring it all together. Um, you know. Which would be incredibly smart and I think incredibly ahead of Marvel's game. I mean, I know S.H.I.E.L.D. starts in the fall. But we still don't know how much it's going to cross over with the films, and I highly doubt anybody from Shield's going to show up in Avengers too. I mean, except for maybe Coulson. There, there. I mean, there are people that that are worried about Shield's future, honestly, and, yeah. and I mean, it's because we just we it's an unknown. We don't know if it's going to be a good show or if it's going to be, <laughs> you know, one of these things where it's like, oh, guys in suits solving superhero <laughs> crimes you know it's i mean it could, could oh, be cool look, we gotta we gotta watch this for 44 minutes of easter eggs for avengers movies right i mean what i think the first episode will be a huge hit but then after that i think I agree. <laughs> it's gonna be potentially diminishing returns i could be dead wrong though uh i just i, I will say it got my dad to give it a hmm when he saw a commercial for it well, so then maybe, then maybe uh the general populace will be into it who knows i hope so i'd like to see 
a but, lot um, of superhero stuff on TV. Yeah, going yeah, going back to DC strategy, I think if they go through with this, they haven't said yes or no on it. I think if they go through with it, I think that'd be a really smart thing to do. Um, I think it would just be very difficult in the Justice League film for people to know. I think you're going to have a lot more people going to see the Justice League film who haven't, who wouldn't have seen Flash or Arrow on TV, and will be just a little bit confused about who these people are in terms of actors and things like that. You know what? I don't think that matters. I, I, I here's True. here's why I, I say that. It's a very small thing that doesn't matter. Yeah, so. there's going to be there might be a few people who feel confused, but you know what? I think people went and saw Avengers without ever seeing any of those other movies that preceded it. Oh, I agree. Except for maybe Iron Man. That that it still made more money than Iron Man. I mean, my argument is <laughs> I don't think there were like individual fans of these movies coming together to see Avengers. I think Avengers was just this movie that everybody had to go see. And it was just like the Dark Knight. There were many people who didn't see Batman Begins, went and saw the Dark Knight. Oh, I know that. And the Avengers <laughs> People just went and saw it without having seen anything before it. So I think a Justice League movie, they, you know, they'll they'll put that together, and if it's good, um, you know, maybe people will go right. back and watch Arrow and, and Flash and whatever. But it's, right. none of that matters, man. I mean, it's just got to be good. That's all. Right. So it'll be interesting to see. So it's kind of just a wait and see kind of thing. A lot of this is, but um. One thing that's not wait and see, because we know for sure it's happening, is, uh, and it was probably the most surprising announcement out of everything we have for news this week, is that uh, Arkham Origins is going to have multiplayer. Um, it's not being developed by uh, Warner Brothers Montreal, it's being developed by another studio, but it's going to have multiplayer, and it's going to be interesting the way they're approaching it. Have you seen the video showing off this multiplayer? Yeah, you, it's like you play as Batman or Robin or one of the gang right. people There's, or something. Yeah, you're, it's two. It's three versus three versus two is the way they're describing it. So there's a team that's Bane and two thugs. You're not playing like a normal thug that Batman can just easily beat up. You're going to have a little bit of strength. Then there's a team of the Joker and two thugs. And then there's Batman and Robin. And they have confirmed that this Robin, since it is a year two Batman, this Robin will be Dick Grayson. Um, which is a good thing. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. I really liked the video. I think uh, I know you had some qualms about the uh, the graphics with it. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out because the one thing I was thinking the entire time is okay, you can let people play as Batman, Robin, the Joker, and Bane. How many people are you going to have that get upset if they have to play as the two, the four nobodies? Um, and uh, are they just going to randomly assign these teams or are you going to ha- have to pick these characters? Because then I know what's going to happen to me knowing my luck is I'm going to get put in some online lobby and everybody's already picked the characters I want to play as. And I have to play as some goon yeah. and it doesn't really matter. I, I, I bet. Um, but apparently it's going to be, it's going to be like the splinter cell multiplayer is what it looks like. Yeah. Um, the goons are going to be fighting each other and then Batman and Robin are sneaking around. Yeah. The multiplayer sounds interesting. I don't, I don't know necessarily if I think it's, totally appropriate for this kind of game. Right. I mean, it's always been a solo player experience, and when you hear this idea of, oh, they're adding multiplayer, you know, you start to get a little trepidatious. I've seen it imported into games where it's never been before pretty successfully in, like, Mass Effect 3. I thought that Mm -hmm. was done very well. I thought it was done well with Splinter Cell as well. So, I mean, it, it, it could be fun. I mean, it doesn't sound bad. I guess from like a fairness perspective, though, I do hope that it's randomly selected characters. God, please let it be, because if people are picking their own characters, I'm never going to get to play as Batman. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's like one of these things you go into a room and they'll just randomly assign you somebody and you just have to go from there. I mean, that's otherwise it'll, it'll, it would just be a total Charlie Fox. But... <laughs> 
Um, I, that I, was an interesting analogy right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, but, I don't think I've ever heard that phrase before. Yeah, yeah. The more PG version of it. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how it works. Uh, I mean, I'm interested in the game in general. I was a little nervous about the graphics engine. I was looking at that video and I thought, right. this... Looks like uh, it it looks comparable to what Arkham Origins looks like to me, but it might have been... Uh, I know, I think it was Brian that told you, you you're just too used to seeing stuff from the next-gen. I guess I am. I'm just <laughs> jaded. I don't I don't know. I mean, I, there's only a few next-gen things I've seen, so... Well, on the bright side, as long as you're satisfied with what single-player's graphics look like, you can just enjoy that experience as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm probably not never going to play the multiplayer, so like, I, 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 have, I have Injustice, and I've barely touched multiplayer with that (laughs) and i've yet to play your brother in it so it's it's one of these things that i'll get to one of these days i guess but um anyway yeah i'm I'm looking forward to it i am too so um shifting over to marvel a bit um and we really don't have to spend too much time on this because there's really nothing to say um marvel and dc said that to ask for something weird that is the uh teaser they have given um, D23 is coming up this weekend, and for those who don't know, D23 is uh, Disney's little conference for their members of their little super special club, and they kind of just, it's in the past, uh, before Disney bought Marvel, and especially now before they bought Lucasfilm, uh, it was just a thing for them to maybe tease what ne- the next Pixar movie was, what the next animation movie was from Disney, and but it was mostly a thing to just talk about, okay, here's what's going on in the parks, here's how... The parks are improving, here's what we're doing there, and here's what we're doing with the cruise lines and things like that. And it was almost like a shareholders meeting for Disney yeah. is really what it is. But it's there's trying to they're trying to evolve it into like an almost second Comic-Con. Um, not nearly as expansive, but now that they have Marvel, they can tease some things from that. They can hold off on some news, although they certainly didn't with Comic-Con. Um, and then... What everybody's very curious about is if Star Wars will have any presence at D23. But they're saying that Marvel and Disney are doing something together called Ask for Something Weird is what it's being teased as. And they said that at D23 it's going to be at the Walt Disney Parks and Resorts Pavilion. So I'm my guess right now, I have no idea what that means, but I guess we're getting something in the parks that has to do with Marvel, which, I mean... That's been teased for a while, so I guess it'll be exciting to see what that actually is. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like the, the days of Marvel Superhero Island at, at Islands of Adventure... Well, they will get to keep that there uh, at Islands of Adventure, but it, yeah, they will not get to add any attractions to it. I know that's what the agreement is. Yeah, and I mean, it's already kind of out of date in terms of how the characters look and some of the, the attractions themselves. So I, I imagine they're probably going to have some sort of Marvel experience added to Disney, which it's, it certainly makes Disney a more interesting uh, draw for me personally. It's kind of like well, we already know that they're expanding Star Wars presence at sure. Hollywood Studios in Orlando. Sure. So it'll be interesting to see what Disney expansions are made. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm, I'm or what Marvel expansions are made. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm. I'm excited to see it, but I also wonder maybe if uh, D23 that might be the first like real glimpse you get of like Big Hero Six, which yeah. uh, you know is that animated Marvel I'm, thing. Yeah, and it'll. I mean, I guess I'll be intrigued if that comes out, but I'm more interested to see if they'll show anything from Pixar's The Good Dinosaur, which is their next film. Sure. Um, and then obviously everybody's wondering if they're going to have anything about Star Wars, um, which I guess if they do have anything from D23, 
we'll be talking about it next week. If not, then this might be the only thing you hear about D23 until next year. I mean, there was supposedly um, big stuff that was supposed to come out of D23 last year, and I can't remember right. anything that happened. I mean. Um, I remember the biggest thing from D23 in the past, like, four years is that New Fantasyland was being added on to Magic Kingdom, and that's not even anything that has to do with Marvel. Right. Um, so they still have yet to make that transition. I think they're waiting for D23 to get a little bit bigger. And if they can announce something from Star Wars this year, I think that could be their ticket to it becoming a lot bigger. Sure, sure. Um, but anyway, uh, staying on Disney for just a second, uh, I read something that was very exciting for me this morning. I don't know how excited it would be for you, but uh, they've announced that Disney is publishing their first original graphic novel, Disney Comics. Um, and they are pu- not through Marvel, which is a little bit of a, a surprise. Um, it's going to be called Space Mountain. And it's obviously based on the Disney attraction. And it was originally going to be called Tomorrowland, because apparently the graphic novel will incorporate some things from the whole Tomorrowland section of the park. But it's going to be called Space Mountain. And it's about these kids going to a school in the future that get to take a one-day, 24-hour trip into the further future. And something goes wrong on their mission. And uh, the comic is written by Brian Q. Miller, who is the most known for his involvement with Smallville, and he writes the Smallville Season 11 comic. And then it's drawn by Kelly Jones, who I've never heard of before. Um, uh, Kelly, the artwork looks pretty cool. Kelly Jones is awesome, man. He used to do Batman. Um, really? Yeah, he did Batman back in the 90s. Like, if you ever saw those old Batman covers, and that's Kelly Jones, Kelly with an E, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Kelly Jones used to do um, like if you ever saw the covers where Batman had like super long like uh, cow horns and oh yeah mm-hmm. his fingers were like sort of like kind of kind of crazy like all in different uh, different directions and stuff. Yeah. All, and Kelly Jones was an incredible artist for Batman. I'll send you some samples sometime. Okay. Well, the samples that they have here for uh, the pencils they have for and with some inks for uh, Space Mountain looks pretty interesting. Um, and they obviously incorporate what the ride looks like in there. I think this is like maybe what the school looks like that the kids go to. Um, I think it's pretty exciting. Uh, it's supposed to be the first of a trilogy of graphic novels. And I honestly want it to be a, set, a success simply because I think this would be a much better launch pad for Disney attractions being adapted to other mediums instead of just trying to push movies. I think this would be great for other Disney attractions to get an adaptation of some sort. Sure, sure. I mean, it. I, I didn't really like... Uh, I've never liked any of the stupid movies that they put out. Um, you know, like, what was it? You weren't a Pirates of the Caribbean guy? No, or Haunted Mansion or any of those things. Uh, but I do think that if there's decent stories to be told, you know, comics are probably the way to do it in a much safer bet yep. without having a more homogenized, safe-for-the-family kind of movie. Uh, I, I, you know, I mean, it's... Uh, Brian Q. Miller's a good writer. So yep. I I, would... I haven't read anything yet that he's done on Smallville season eleven, mostly because I still haven't finished Smallville. <laughs> but um, I'm sure it's good. I know people are excited about Wonder Woman showing up in that comic. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on it. It's supposed to come out in May of 2014, so I guess we'll see more next year. But um, completely forgot to mention in the DC talk, um, Boston Comic Con happened this weekend. Um. It was gonna, supposed to happen back in April, but due to the bombings, they moved it to the, later this summer. And uh, at the DC panel, they kind of had their normal thing going on with everybody just talking about what's going on and how Snyder said that uh, Professor Pig from Batman Inc. might show up in future Batman stories and that Poison Ivy will be in Zero Year. 
Um, and then he also apparently, apparently Snyder had had a few drinks before he showed up to this panel. Apparently it was just a very weird panel in gener- general, and apparently Snyder spoiled what the Red Hood, Hood gang is going to become. Um, but luckily I didn't find out what that was. And then uh, the, the thing here was Brian Azzarello was apparently very detached and did not want to be there and talked about how he saw Wonder Woman differently than anyone else at DC, which is very obvious from the way that comic has been. Right. And then uh, D- uh, Didio is there. Who? Uh, what is his role at DC? I know he writes, but what is his title? No, he's like the uh, uh, vice. God, it's like vice president of publishing, or he's like no, he's co-publisher. Okay. Co-publisher. Okay, so he's high up yeah. at DC. Um, what does he write currently? Dan DiDio, he doesn't write anything specifically because he does. He he doesn't. He used to do Phantom Stranger, but now J.M. Demetrius is doing that, mm-hmm. and Omax over. He's just gonna have like a story in the Batman Inc. special. Okay. Well, um, apparently DiDio asked him how he feels about the Wonder Woman and Superman relationship because uh, Tony S. Daniel was there to talk about Wonder Woman and Superman and how uh, Doomsday and Zod will appear, which I mean. It's exciting, but whatever. I mean, there's not really much to say about it now. Um, and what's so interesting is when Azarello was asked about Wonder Woman and Superman dating in the DC Universe and how that affects the fact that he's been trying to sort of set up Orion and Wonder Woman in the Wonder Woman series, he said, uh, all he said was clearly not the way DC feels about it. And then he said, uh, he got on to people for asking multiple questions. Uh, I suppose that's a rule when you're at a comic convention, you're supposed to only ask one question when you get up to the mic. Right. And then uh, apparently Azarello yelled at people that, do you really think he's dead? And by he's, he meant Damien. Yeah. Um, Apparently somebody asked a question about Damien and Azarello just yelled at them, do you really think he's dead? Wow. So um, not the type of behavior you expect somebody to have at a more professional event, especially when somebody in charge of publishing your book is involved there. Um, It'll be interesting to see if Azarello's stint on Wonder Woman doesn't last much longer. Yeah, it's, it, you know, he's a bit of a prickly sort, and uh, I've, I've heard him on interviews, and he's quite dry, and he's right. not really one for, for, he's not really one for press stuff. Like, if you ever read his interviews online with, like, CBR or Newsarama, they're very, like, one, you know, one or two sentence answers, and clearly he's just not that interested in that kind of stuff. I mean, he's a writer, and that's pretty much all he likes to do, and making public appearances are not his forte. Um... You know his. I can't explain that behavior at all. Um, <laughs> he, I mean, look. I realize Dan DiDio drives a lot of people nuts, but I mean, geez, he's still your boss, you know. Right. <laughs> and I, I, I sometimes I get I get driven nuts by comic professionals who, um, who I guess treat their jobs a little, a little differently than most professionals treat their jobs. I mean, you, you don't have to deify your employer or anything, but you do need to be able to be reverent of them and their right. position because they are your employer and they sign your checks. So to have, you know, I mean, it's guys like Brian Azzarello and Chris Roberson and yeah. a, a number of these other... And we saw what happened with Chris Roberson. Right. I mean, they, they, they ended up letting him go early. I mean, it's after he made his comments. I mean, it's just... It just it's just a shame, you know. It's like, look, yeah. t- just 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 hold back a little bit, you know. You don't have to like be a yes man, but certainly don't don't turn around and and act like a lunatic either. And right. I mean, I wasn't there, I didn't see it, there was no video of right. it, so who knows how it really um, went down. But yeah, 
But it is also an interesting comment whether he meant it to or not on the way DC kind of runs things as yeah. well. Oh sure, and that's that that's problematic. I mean, I think there should be some dis- there should have been greater discussion with the writer of Wonder Woman about Wonder Woman's relationship in another right. book. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's not like he ever hinted at Steve Trevor either in the book, so it's not like it's going to be a huge problem from the way he writes it. No, no, but I mean, this Wonder Woman Superman book may be problematic. So, I mean, that's an actual other Wonder Woman book that's coming out. And I think that might fly in the face a little bit of what Azarello's doing. And it's a shame because that book is probably DC's best title. So, especially now that its other very, very good title in my eyes is over. So, um... Yeah, it's uh, it's really <laughs> weird, but okay. So um, let's just end news with uh, one last thing, and that's uh, they announced some news about Avatar, which it seems we can't go six months without hearing something about Avatar until it finally comes out, I guess. Um, and it feels like it's been forever since Avatar, the first one, came out. And I remember thinking, it, I, I didn't hate it as much as some people do, but I remember... I haven't watched it since it was released on home video, so that shows a lot how it was very much so a theatrical experience, and I think he meant it to be one. But uh, we found out that Avatar is going to get three sequels instead of two. And um, the first one does not even come out until December of 2016. And that's going to be almost ten years after the first Avatar was released. And I think I, I think this is a franchise that is not going to be as successful as they want it to be. I know Avatar is the highest grossing movie of all time, but it might end up being a one-hit wonder. Is there really more story to tell? I mean... That's what I was wondering, yeah. The story they told wasn't that original in the first place. Mm-hmm. I got that, you know, that, that it was Dances with Wolves meets Fern Gully. Yeah, so, people were very, very vocal about the plot of that movie. Yeah, I just, I mean, I, it, it's one of those movies where people got their... They got their yayas out of it the first time. I don't think a sequel is going to be anywhere near successful. Um, Which three. I mean, exactly. I mean, there's nowhere to go but down, you know. But I mean, James Cameron hasn't really made a film since, so maybe maybe there's a fascination there that I'm not aware of amongst the general populace. I I'm not that interested in it. But uh, you know, maybe he can find somebody. It was. I remember there being news reports well into January of that year of. Still how Avatar was doing great at the box office and still selling out theaters, which blew me away because, I mean, it wasn't ever a movie that blew me away as a movie. It was just its success that surprised me. Yeah, I, didn't, I never found it very interesting. Um, that's it, It's funny. I, I never got the Avatar craze, but yeah. uh, I don't know. I mean, I never got the Titanic craze either. So <laughs> that See, that's a movie I can at least appreciate, and that's a movie I can at least watch if it's on TV or something like that. Avatar, I just... I haven't come. I haven't gone back to it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. It, I own it because it was the uh, the first movie we bought on Blu-ray to go with our. Yeah, and I'm sure it's worth it on Blu-ray, but I haven't touched it. it yeah, it's just not the idea of watching it doesn't excite me terribly, <laughs> unfortunately. It's particularly when you think about how long it is. Yeah. No. No. For sure. Um, yeah. But that's that's uh, that's that's going to be interesting. I I still doubt those movies are ever even going to get made. But that's just yes, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> hey, you're not you're not excited about uh, Orchi and Kurtzman coming back to Star Trek? Oh, that's right. You didn't mention that. I'm sorry. I wrote that down there. So uh, it was announced right before we started recording that uh, Orchi and Kurtzman are going to be writing Star Trek three. 
Um, I guess we get more 9-11 metaphors. I don't know. Uh, all I can say... <laughs> I guess this is their... It's going to be their take on the Iraq war now, yeah. I guess. I don't know. Maybe maybe in this one, they'll try to save dolphins or whales or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, that, that'll be the next movie they'll try to rip off. Well, uh, there's there's one thing for sure they won't be saving, and that will be the Star Trek franchise. Uh, whoa, hey <laughs> uh, I, I I can tell you they're, they're, the one guarantee is Kyle Pinion may not be writing the review for that film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the idea of going to see that just sounds dreadful. That'll, uh, that'll be... especially uh, you want to you want to say who they're considering to direct that movie? <laughs> yeah, it was a uh, John M. Chu, and John M. Chu is the director of GI Joe Retaliation and. Uh, step up. Oh, step up, right? Step up three, <laughs> and Justin Bieber never say never. Oh. Uh. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've said on Twitter, I'll say it again. I didn't think there was a way Paramount could make me less interested in this film. Well, <laughs> that would probably do it. So, um, Or Star Trek. There you have it, folks. I, I hope they have uh, somebody better in mind. And rumor has it, according to people very close to both of us, that might be the case. So we'll see. Yep. Um so that's all I got on news. All right. So, so we want to wrap this up with some comics. Let's talk. do it. Let's talk comics. All right, Shane. You look at your week that you picked up in terms of comics. And and it was a very disappointing week. Yeah. yeah and I, I mean, I saw your article and I saw some of the grades you gave out. But uh, what <laughs> you, we, you sound very unenthused about that article. <laughs> no, no, it was good. No, I'm just saying I saw. I, you know, just in terms of an overview. I mean, I saw sort of what your week was. Um, what would you say was your best read of the week? Um, I'm really surprised to say this because I, I mean, I, it's a comic I've enjoyed, but I'm really surprised. It's, I never thought it would be my read of the week. And this just shows the weakness of this week is, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy was my favorite. I've heard that a lot today, actually, from people that, uh, they, I think it's because of the last page. <laughs> yeah. What? Well, well, I mean, you know, it doesn't. Have you heard how it ends? Uh, go ahead and tell me. I'm not going to read. Okay. I know you're not going to read Guardians of the Galaxy and, uh, spoilers for anybody that is reading Guardians of the Galaxy right now. Bendis has run on it. Um, part of the reason it's such a good book right now is uh, Steve McNevin started out as the artist, and he's great at, on Guardians of the Galaxy. And then they got Sarah Pacelli, and Sarah Pacelli's been even better on Guardians. And uh, so this was the first Angela issue, Angela crossing over from the Spawn universe into the Marvel universe after the events of Age of Ultron. But uh, she's barely in it, and what this really focuses on is how Peter Quill apparently when this rift in the space-time continuum occurred. Apparently, Peter Quill experienced some effects from it. And he's very confused, and he doesn't know who to talk to. And he goes to this girl named Mantis, who I guess is a character that's a cosmic Marvel character. I didn't recognize her. Um, asking her some questions, and she kind of says, well, you know, there's one person you need to talk to if you're experience, experiencing something like what you have. And so we get this last conversation with him as the other Guardians are about to uh, meet up with Angela. Because Angela is headed straight for Earth, and the Guardians are going to intercept her and they start to fight Angela on the moon. And then we have this conversation that's overlaid on those panels of star Lord with this guy he's talking to. And we find out on the last page, this guy says that it's the earth's fault. It's humans, humanity's fault that the space time, space time continuum has been ripped, uh, ripped apart and that it's time for them to be punished. And, uh, that guy would be Thanos that star Lord is talking to. Okay. And so, yeah, I don't know if this means Guardians of the Galaxy is tying into Infinity or not, which, I mean, why else would you have Thanos show up at the very end, right before Infinity begins? But it makes, I think it's the most excited, excited I've been for a Guardians issue 
since the series started. Yeah, I um, I, that sounds pretty cool. I, I assume that uh, they're probably trying to streamline every Thanos appearance, you know, into this big right. crossover that's coming in two weeks. So I, I'm sure that it will be some sort of tangential, tangential death or uh, right. tie-in to go to. Yeah, because I don't think I've seen any any of the solicits that Guardians of the Galaxy is a tie-in to Infinity. Yeah, I, I, I haven't either. Matter of fact, the only chart I've seen for Infinity's tie-ins was the one that Hickman promoted. Right, but we know there's other comics that are tying into it because there's Mighty Avengers and Thunderbolts as well. Yeah, and then there's like uh, the one that Matt Kent's writing. He's doing a, a right. the, the Infinity tie-in miniseries uh, that I'm actually very excited about. So the uh, – I don't know. I guess Hickman's – and I saw that chart as well, and I put it on my favorites on Twitter just to hold on to it. Um I guess that's just his books that he's doing. I really don't know. Yeah, I, it is. It's just Avengers, New Avengers, and Infinity. So I guess people that are like really into his stuff. Though, of course, that probably also means these are the only books that really matter. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> if you really wanted to follow. At least Thunderbolts has a good writer right now, so maybe that'll make it worth it. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Um, but, uh, well, I'm glad I'm glad you like Guardians of the Galaxy a lot. That's uh, that, that that's not the first time I've heard it, so um, that's that's exciting. Yeah, I know a lot of people are really jazzed about this issue, but I think it's also a testament to how weak this was for comics. This how weak this last week of July was. What's what's so what's Gaiman's credit on this at this point? Uh, he's consultant. Okay. He's just consulting for Angela's dialogue, but I think she she speaks on the first page, and that's it. <laughs> Right on, right on. Well, that's uh, that that's I had somebody at Marvel overshot their wad there, I think. But yep. uh, <laughs> I mean, it's uh, I can't imagine that they do more than like, hey, what, what do you think of this story, Neil? Sounds good. You right. Keep my name and, on well, it. and then then they fight her, and then what? When they're done fighting her, she just goes away, and maybe she's at the disposal of some other writer in the future. I mean, really, what's what's the point? <laughs> I think something didn't work out the way they were hoping it would. But, uh, <laughs> But whatever. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because, I mean, this was her first appearance and she's clearly going to be in a few more issues of Guardians. So maybe something will happen. Maybe. I, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, <laughs> I think this is one area where I, you have more faith than I do. <laughs> but uh, I guess for mine then, in terms of my best read of the week, I was really torn because there were three books I read that I thought were really fascinating but okay. I'm going to give the nod to the book I was most excited about, which is Batman, Inc., Right. Um, number uh, 13? Is that the okay. one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I put on the splash page. Good. So that's the right number. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't have the book in front of me, so I don't remember the number. So uh, it, it's the long culmination of the Grant Morrison saga. I mean, seven right. years of writing Batman. And it's, you know, a divisive run. It's not everybody's cup of tea. It's, it's this idea of Batman... Uh, covering all of his eras, and that even includes the campy Batman goes into outer space of the 1950s <laughs> and the Batman Adam West in the 60s. The central tenet of Grant Morrison's run had always been, at least pre-New 52, that all of the events of Batman's entire chronology from 1939 to today occurred to one man over the course of 10 to 15 years. Oh, good lord. I know, it sounds nuts, right? But it actually really works. I mean, it, it you can imagine a guy being absolutely mentally shot out. I was about to say, uh, that, that is not a guy I would want to spend time with. No, and you know what? His Batman is not a pleasant person to be around. And it takes his quote-unquote death and resurrection you know, at the hands of Darkseid. Um, right. 
and uh, the Omega Effect to turn around and decide he's going to become more of a James Bond kind of figure and create Batman Incorporated. I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff that happened throughout the entire run, and I'm going to summarize a lot of it when I start my my big... uh, Right, I know you're working on an article, aren't you? Oh, I'm going to be working on a series of articles. uh, Nice. Focus on the Grant Morrison era, the epic of Batman. Well, I teased at the end of the splash page that you had more coming up with it, so I'm glad I was not wrong in that. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, man. It it, it is definitely... one of the last great runs of comics that uh, I, you know I, that we we've been probably ever going to see, uh, at least for quite some time, because you know writers stay on books only for so long now. Right. I mean, right now Bendis is the last guy that's on a title right. that's lasted. Long I was about to say I was going to argue years. that his run on Ultimate Spider-Man is probably going to be also memorable. Oh sure, sure, sure. But I, you know, none of these other writers. I, I don't see Hickman staying on Avengers past two years. I don't see right. Fraction staying on Hawkeye. You know, as long as people would like. I don't know. That's it. so much a pet project for him. He might stay on it a little longer. I hope so. I hope so. It's a great book. But I don't see him staying on Fantastic Four that long. Yeah, but. yeah. I mean, but to, anyway, to get to my point. So Batman Inc. number thirteen. You know, Batman's created this uh, this this organization called Batman Incorporated. Obviously, and it's. All the way, then this this particular arc post New Fifty Two, some of Batman Inc has changed um, after the New Fifty Two sort of kicked around because certain characters don't exist anymore. But the central tenets of Morrison's run still hold up. And this final arc uh, of the last thirteen issues of Batman Inc in Volume Two here from one to thirteen sort of span back to the beginning of his arc where. Uh, it, it was Batman, Talia, and Damien. Well, that's basically mm-hmm. what the last volume of Batman Inc. is about, is Batman, Talia, and Damien. And the last issue is the final battle between Batman and Talia. And it is awesome, man. And some of the points made by Morrison in the issue are unbelievable. I'll go ahead and get to spoilers now because, I mean, we, we're, it's already kind of ripped open. But Talia gets killed. Um, Talia gets um. a bullet in her head. Hmm. And she get the person she gets a bullet in her head from. It's kind of unbelievable. But there's this organization that's existed uh, and sort of been whispered about throughout Batman Incorporated called Spiral, and it's been hinted at that um, uh, the that Spiral exists along with the original Batwoman from the 1950s, Kathy Kane, not Kate yeah. Kane, but Kathy Kane. Um, she returns, and she's the person that puts the bullet right in uh, Talia's head, right as Talia's telling, you know, taunting Batman for like, yeah, you know, you can't possibly kill me, and you, you can't do it, detective. And then all of a sudden, Kathy shows up and pops one right between her eyes, <laughs> and that's it. Talia's dead. So, for now, <laughs> for now, exactly. And that, and and Morrison leaves some breadcrumbs for uh, potential for writers to come in and sort of pick up where he left right, off. Right, is Batman Incorporated's continuing, isn't it? Nope. It's got a special oh, really? that comes out that is not necessarily taking place after this story. Okay. But what, what, what the ra- end ramifications are for Batman Incorporated 13, Batman Incorporated is, is dissolved, basically. Um, when Kathy shows up, she tells Bruce, look, you know, you... You and your little silly clowns and villains are fine, you know, in your little city, and you can continue to play with that. But 
when you try to play on a global scale, you will lose because you're not fit for a global scale. And that's when Batman realizes, oh, I'm not as awesome as I thought I was. <laughs> and then, you know, Kathy and Spiral disappear. So, you know, I don't know if they'll ever show up again. You would think that right. something like that would have major ramifications for the covert side of DC's world. But right. it probably won't show up again because <laughs> that's how all Morrison things work out with both Marvel and DC. So um, other things that are left out, I mean, Ra's al Ghul uh, has like an entire room full of Damien's in his tank, like right, Damien's. Right. So that could, be, that could be something that's picked up. Um, and then uh, both Damien and Talia's graves are empty uh, when uh, Batman goes to visit oh, graves. God. So yeah, I know. <laughs> so so are they alive or their bodies are just missing? Their bodies are just missing. Um, so because like it's like it's like they've been dug up and like the coffins are gone. Okay. So no telling what'll happen. I'm sure Talia will return someday, but at this point, old Raz Al Ghul is probably the new focal point of that Echo Terror. He is getting the Villains Month issue. Yep. Unfortunately, written by somebody I'm not going to read. So, uh, you know, but Batman Inc., it's, it returns to its beginnings and it has a wonderful ending and um, it lets the story speak for itself, unlike a certain Green Lantern finale that I could uh, <laughs> cite. So I'm, I, I loved it. It was my read of the week. Uh, Shane, tell me, worst book you read this week? Uh, I think we both want, have the same one, don't we? Probably. So do we want to just talk about it together? Let's do it. Um, okay, so... Well, this was one that I wouldn't have said at first, but going back and rereading things for the Splash page, uh, I was a little bit more, I wouldn't say lenient, but I had a better appreciation of the Flash annual uh, on the second read. Because on the first read, I would have said the Flash annual was my worst. But except for the backup, I there there are some things I found to appreciate with it. Um, Manipal's art is still sorely missed in it. But um, other than that, I think my worst of the week is the Batman annual. Sure, that's mine too. Um, highly disappointing read. Yeah, this was. Well, I mean, both annuals were a bit disappointing. Um, there are things to be disappointed with with the Flash. It's just Batman is. Oh God. Sure. Um, so let's start with it first. Where let's look at this cover where it says featuring the Anchoress, the Asylum, and then in a font that is easily three times the size of what those previous words were is Zero Year. And Zero Year, and that's all it was been teased as in all these other books, at, on the other DC books at the end of the issue when it was teasing the annuals, it, all it said for the solicit for Batman annual was a Zero Year tie-in. Um, zero Year takes up two pages in this uh, entire annual. Yeah, yeah, it, it's like one stupid flashback that uh, is completely worthless. And, <laughs> and, like, you really didn't have to say it was zero year. You could have said it was anything. I would have believed if you had told me it was three weeks earlier. So. <laughs> right! <laughs> I, I'm i just... A little... I mean, all it was, wasn't it was just Batman was stealing files from something in Arkham Asylum? That's all it was? Yeah, yeah I mean, it could, have, it could have been at any point in time. It's almost like they just said, hey, this flashback could be zero year. Let's just use that, and then we can toss zero year on the cut. Yeah, let, let's start with who's writing this, because even though it says Scott Snyder, he gets top bill on this issue it's actually marguerite bennett who's another one of his creative writing students and we know how much i and i enjoy his other creative writing student uh james tenyon yeah um, speak of the devil yeah the uh with that ross al Ghul book but I, I i agree with you that was one of the first things i was a little nervous about like here's the thing i like the idea that dc is adding uh more writers of the fairer sex right. okay i think that's really awesome that we have more female right. writers writing comics and uh, I wish 
DC would take pages out of Marvel's book and get good female writers, that would be the next great step for them. And unfortunately, this was not a great debut for Miss Bennett. Um, And it makes... There are things, like, I'll admit there, let's, like, just for people to know who haven't read it, uh, the story is just that it's about the very first prisoner of Arkham Asylum and how apparently... Batman and this there's this side story about how Batman is putting himself in Arkham Asylum uh, to test their new security stuff, and then Batman encounters this uh, original prisoner, and it's all told from the point of view of a new security guard at Arkham. And um, there's a lot of things in the concept that I like about it. It's all in the execution, and then it's even more so in that awful art yeah um yeah you compare i'm gonna be i'm gonna be reviewing this book more tomorrow but yeah uh i'll just say that uh i don't know that the new 52 is in sketchers ad so i'll probably have to uh amend that comment but uh there's i've I've seen new 52 batman in target ads that have better art (laughs) than this comic has oh that's that's funny um yeah it it is true It, it had really really dreadful art and I, I don't know, the story just wasn't very interesting. Like I was, I was, I was okay with it when it was this idea. Okay, Batman's putting himself in Arkham. Right. He's trying to test it. Okay, that's a cool right. idea, sort of. Right. And it's like, okay, these little things are weaknesses for Poison Ivy for her to be able to exploit. This is a weakness for Killer Croc to exploit. Mm-hmm. And he's able to sort of like yeah, because Batman knows his villains better than any anybody running Arkham, and he knows his villains better than his villain their villains know themselves. Yeah, so they, they they had no problem with that idea, right? Uh, mm-hmm. um, but it was the moment this first inmate was introduced that you know can apparently walk through walls, right? <laughs> she can walk through her cell. And was apparently, I guess, waiting for Batman to show up because she implied that the cell had been weak enough for her to walk through for some time, and like three years, I think she said. Terrible, absolutely terrible. Uh, and it, she just wasn't a very interesting character. Like, right? It was just some kind of psychic person or something. It was, yeah. Yeah, and like, I mean, I know it, she had sort of the same sort of bruised up childhood that you know most of these villains end up having. So none of them have like great origin stories, mind you. But this, I don't know. It just. It, to me, the creation of a new bad guy is not a bad thing, but they've got to be an interesting bad guy because Batman has the best rogues gallery in comics. Yep. So when you introduce sort of a, an iffy, kind of not that terribly fascinating one that's supposed to be the first inmate of Arkham ever. And especially when you consider, and this book even brings it up again, when she's uh, playing with Bruce's head, um, Scott Snyder introduced the Court of Owls, which was probably the best new Batman villain in years. Yeah, totally. And then this one is just not. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 definitely um, just a big thud. The whole issue just felt like a ripoff for me. Like I, I've got done reading it. Yeah. Thought to myself, man, I could have bought a can- couple of candy bars instead or yep. something. You know. Well, here's what here's what makes me angry about it, and uh, this is partly what made me angry with the Flash one as well. Um, I'm fine with annuals in general if they can expand upon what the comic is currently doing. So that first Batman, I want to say that first Flash annual was about Grodd, because that was what was going on at the time. And so this first Batman annual was about Mr. Freeze, and we we get this really cool take on Mr. Freeze with this awesome spin on his story that Scott Snyder comes up with that was enough to piss off a lot of people. Yeah. And then it it also tied into (laughs) the Court of Owls. It explained this, like, kind of dangling thing that nobody really questioned too much because it was more of a comic book-y kind of type of thing, but he even went, took the time to explain... Mr. Freeze's connection to Court of Owls and that dangling thread. And so it was really just an annual that felt worth the time and the money. 
And I also didn't feel like I was getting a break from what was going on in the comic. And then these, both of these annuals, the Flash and Batman annuals, are completely unrelated to anything that's going on. I don't care if they have zero year at 30 font, 30 point font on this cover because it has nothing to do with it. And it's just really frustrating because I feel like at the end of the day, I've wasted my time because it has nothing to back up what is currently going on in those stories. Sure. I, I can agree with that. Um, <clears throat> I mean, what I hate to, to sort of paint a guy with a brush, but if this, this and James Tenyon are uh, examples of what Scott Steiner's writing, best writing I think you're about to say what are. I said, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a little nervous about what kind of teacher he is. I don't know if I'd want to take Or I'm, I was worried about what the rest of his class produced. Oh, no kidding. No kidding. I I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's, I, I think Scott Steiner's an incredibly talented writer. I wish DC would stop utilizing the names of their better writers to prop up guys that aren't as good. Uh, I mean, just be honest with us and say, I mean, I know that they think, you know, uh, the, this girl's name on the book by itself wouldn't sell, but don't make Snyder the top Batman. line name. Right. Well, and it's Batman. It's going to sell. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a Batman annual. People are going to buy it. They throw the zero year thing on anyway. That's fine. All those things are fine. Just don't make Snyder's name top because it makes it sound like he's the main writer. Right. I mean, at least with Talon, they, didn't they put James Tenyon's name first i can't remember um i think they they made them more co-writers on that yeah like snyder came up with the story and Tenyon wrote it right right uh and i i I mean i think there was very little that scott snyder actually wrote i mean it's just sort of they okay this is yeah this sounds good you know (laughs) he might have workshopped it with them or something at best I don't know. And the DC does that with Jeff Lemire, too. Like, they slap his name on Constantine, even though it's clear Ray Fox is writing that book. Justice League Dark, you know, after we get out of Trinity War, I think Ray Fox is taking that back over. I mean, Jeff Lemire, I mean, you can tell the difference between a Jeff Lemire written comic like Green Arrow yep. versus a Ray Fox written comic, you know, with Jeff yep. Lemire's name on it. I mean, there's that's not to say Ray Fox is a bad writer, but they're using those guys' names to prop these things up. And that's the same thing they're doing with Scott Snyder here in this annual. I was sucker punched into it, too. So it's, you know what, I won't do it again. I, I just hope next time they go back to expanding upon what's going on, because this could have been a great thing to expand upon Red Hood Gang, Riddler, whatever. And I was really hoping that Flash annual could have expanded upon the reverse Flash. Sure. Like, it could have been a great issue for them to reveal who the reverse Flash is. Yeah. Um. I'd love for it to be Wally West, but I doubt it's going to be because I have a feeling Wally West is going to be the Flash in Justice League 3000. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but anyway. Um, yeah, I, at one point in time, annuals in, in comics were, were, you know, did expand or they were their own sets of stories. that Right, like, because uh, Spider-Man annual is when Sinister Six showed up and things like that. Yeah. And it was sort of an expansion, but it was also its own thing. Well, last year's Flash annual was, you know, tied into the, the Rogue stuff. So, I mean, it, it actually had something to do with the story. So did the at least the, a little bit of the Mr. Freeze story and Court of Owls, like you insinuated, or outright stated, excuse me. But, um, so, I don't know, man. It was just, these are like lazy annuals this year. Yep. So I'm, I'm, I'm sad that they cost this much and that yep. they give us so little. But, well. But, uh, well, that was the worst of this week, and we're both sort of on the same page there. Um, at least you, we can tell you folks that was definitely the worst of this week. 
Yeah. Um, you know what not to pick up for sure. <laughs> exactly. I will say um, the the other two books, just by the way, that were like really close to me for best of the week, not to like get an extra choice or anything, sure. but I will say uh, Matt Kent's Adventures of Superman comic was wonderful. And okay. uh, the latest issue of FF uh, it was really cool. So, you know, just uh, give Marvel its fair shake. FF is the shiznit. <laughs> um, so, okay, next week, to wrap this whole thing up, Shane, yep. what are you most excited about? Um, in terms of comics, uh, we're getting another really small week this week. Um, so I was just double-checking to make sure Thor isn't coming out this week. Um, no. But... Um, so I guess the only thing on the comic side of thing that, things that I'm looking forward to would be uh, Satellite Sam number two and uh, Ferrist. Um, Ferrist has been really good right now. Ferrist revealed something in its last issue that's going to be huge if it can relate back to the current continuity and fables. And um, then uh, Satellite Sam, it would, I, I was impressed with the debut, but it also didn't really blow me away. So I'm looking to see how it expands upon some stuff. Right on. Right. Um, and then obviously Elysium. Yeah, yeah, that 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 for me too. Uh, Elysium for sure. I'd hopefully I'll you know I'll enjoy it come Wednesday. But um, for me, it's mostly image books. I think um, you know I'm really excited about Fatal, uh, which is coming mm-hmm. out, and I think I'm pretty sure the next issue of Profit is coming out too. So that's well, pretty and Satellite good. Sam's also an image book. Yeah, and, and Satellite Sam, of course. I mean, that 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 uh, first issue was was really knocked me on my ass. So I, I'm, well, I'm trying to remember, like, I'm trying to remember if it blew me away or not because it's been so long since that first issue came out. I remember liking it a lot. I liked it. Yeah. Um, I just remember it taking it about ten pages to get used to it because the way he wrote it was a little odd. Yeah, yeah. I, but you know, I think if it's it's completely different from the standard comic that you know yep. we normally buy. Okay. And I think the new Manhattan Projects is coming out as well. So I got uh, got quite a bit of, of indie stuff coming that I'm pretty pretty excited about. I might even need to try and catch up with Sheltered. I got the first issue and I never read it. So um, you know, DC side of things, uh, you know, Green Lantern, I Earth guess. Two. Earth Two. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard for me to get too excited. Green Arrow is the thing I'm most excited about, actually. Um, but and then uh, you know, we'll see what the last Infinity uh, lead up prelude book is like before uh, it. You'll have to it, see that because I don't read Avengers. Yeah, so. we'll we'll see if it's any good. The last couple have not been so. Um, the new Avengers one was good at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, well, that's. Yeah, fingers crossed. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll call this one a night. But uh, anyway, Shane, we'll uh, we'll talk later, buddy. All right.